So you can be fine all day until you hit that point of exhaustion in the evening. And those instability come up and show you basically who you are, where the cracks in the pavement are, um, whether you're more sensitive to light, whether you're more sensitive to sound, whether you're just irritated with everything around you. So you're looking at these components as you bring up your resilience, those things fall away. Hey, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pekulski. I f- am fascinated with performance at all levels, physical, mental. These are inextricably linked. And I, while I spent a lot of time talking about the physical aspects of performance, and to be honest, I think I'm obsessed with the physical aspects of performance. I may be even more obsessed with the mental aspects of performance that people just tend to take for granted, neglect, and not realize that your mind is the very thing that's either going to carry you where you want to go or inhibit you from going where you want to go. And, and as is your body in many instances, right? And one of the things that I uh, aspire to do for you, my listener, my customer, my client, my fan, whatever you happen to be in this world, what I hope to do is remove the barriers, remove the walls that both you set in your mind and that your body sets for you. And what that means is if your body is physically limited, if your physical capabilities in any way limited, your life is limited. You're going to make decisions based on your inabilities rather than what you want to do, what your desires are. And this is the same with your mental capacity. If in any way you are limited in your thinking, in your mental capacity, in your discipline, then you're literally restricting what you're capable of in this world, in this life. And to me, that sounds like prison, right? That sounds like restriction that can be lifted by our own desire in most cases, right? Obviously, there's extenuating circumstances that are outside of our control. Today's guest is someone that is viewed as a leader in the performance space as far as cognitive capability. Dr. Drew Pearson is a performance specialist. He's been practicing EEG biofeedback since 1996, along with other neurocognitive therapies. In his early work, he specialized in pediatric for attention disorders, depression, anxiety, autism, uh, and seizures, these types of things, and ultimately medication-resistant conditions. Then he later focused on generalized practice and then the peak performance. Dr. Drew is uh, very well regarded in the space of cognitive optimization, specifically neurofeedback. He is a leader and a pioneer in the space. He has been regarded as the man to go to for brain optimization when it comes to external modalities to optimize the internal environment, which means uh, neurofeedback, neuroelectrical stimulation, and the such. Um, Today, we talk about how EEG brain training ultimately works and why it may be something to consider for people who are looking to achieve the highest level of capability. We talk about why learning to control your states of consciousness is a key to performance. Uh, we talk about an unstable brain and what he calls a blue brain, how to figure out whether or not you may be experiencing this. Uh, we ta- talk about the powerful gut-brain connection and how to ultimately intervene for health, longevity, and high performance. We deep dive into brain states or brain wave states, how to assess them, and ultimately how to use this to your advantage. This is one thing that I've started doing probably in 2012, understanding the various brain states. And it's impact on me, my life, my performance, my sleep, my recovery, my relationships is remarkable. I feel like it's a superpower for me. I feel empowered 
to be in the peak state of arousal at any time because I choose to train myself to get there. I can choose to be in alpha. I can choose to be in beta. I can choose to be in theta. I can choose to be in gamma. I can choose to be in delta. And, you know, I can, I can use supplements to get me there. I can use brain training to get me there. Ultimately, I need to learn how to use those tools. It's kind of like having tools in a tool belt to be able to access the peak state of physical performance and, and mental performance to match. Um, so, ladies and gents, I know you're going to love this podcast. I loved my conversation with Dr. Drew Pearson. This podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Mag Breakthrough. Bioptimizer has done it again. My single favorite magnesium product in the market. Why? Because it has seven different magnesium chelates. Why do you care about seven different magnesium chelates? Well, because each of them has a different bioavailability in the body. Each of them has the tendency or the predisposition, the propensity to attach or work on a specific tissue in the body. And so some magnesiums work better for certain people and, and some work better for other people. So having seven different types of magnesium has you covered on every different level that magnesium is required in the body. Magnesium is required for 700 different processes in the body. If you're not taking magnesium, you're missing out. Ladies and gents, this is one of my five non-negotiable everyday supplements that I just simply never miss. In fact, I always take magnesium in the morning. I always take magnesium post-workout and I always take magnesium before bed. I don't always take a lot, but I always take some. And I actually gauge the amount that I need based on stress. If I'm increasing my training, if I'm, if I'm stressed, if I've got a lot going on, if I haven't slept very well, then those are things, this is, this is a lever that I pull to modulate my nervous system. You guys know the soil in the world is super depleted. The macronutrients, uh, sorry, the micronutrients are very depleted. And, and ultimately, we need to supplement with certain specific things that ultimately get depleted more in these soils. So we need more magnesium for sleep and energy metabolism and recovery. And Magnesium Breakthrough is by far my favorite product. So ladies and gents, head over to Mag Breakthrough slash Muscle Intelligence. And you can use the code MUSCLE10, MUSCLE10, to get 10% off this incredible product. And because you're awesome and we love you, and Bioptimizers takes great care of us. You can actually use the code MUSCLE10 at bioptimizers.com to take advantage of discounts on their entire site. Do it now. Take advantage of this sale and support the company that supports this podcast so we can continue to bring you the best free to consumer information. Ladies and gents, enjoy the podcast with Dr. Drew Pearson. Dr. Drew Pearson, sir, welcome to the show. As I said, you are very highly recommended by someone that I uh, regarded very, very highly, a previous guest of the show, Matt Gallant, and shout out to Matt if he's listening. I'm sure he will. If he sees you on a podcast, he's going to want to get some deeper insights, and he knows that I usually ask some pretty deep, prodding questions. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Where are you in the world? I'm in San Diego right now. Good place to be right now. Beautiful place to be. You've been there most of your life? Off and on. I was stationed here in the military early on. Then I came back and probably the longest I've ever been in one place. Yeah. Is that what kind of kicked off your interest in neuropsych, neurophysiology as being in the military or did it happen prior to that? It, it did actually. That that did kick off a lot of the thought processes because I was a fitness coordinator for a subgroup and it just really extended from there. Because after the muscle stuff is done, what do you do with the brain? How do you optimize that? And it was kind of an organic flow toward that state. Now you're, now you're talking my language. So that's that's literally, I mean, you've taken it to a different level than I have, but that's my transition as well. I started off as a professional bodybuilder and uh, realized that the brain is everything ultimately, right? And understanding how I can get more out of my bodies is 
ultimately understand how I can get more out of my mind, understanding how I can optimize peak states of arousal, how I can ultimately you know, bring my, my mind out of a peak state of arousal and be into a more recoverative, regenerative state. So um, these are the things I want to dig into today. So if you want to, if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what you were working on in the military as far as physical optimization and what your first, you know, kind of path into brain optimization looked like. Um, what did happen quite there in the military? I, I mean, I was introduced to the physical fitness and we had to keep up, you know, a certain level of fitness just to be on board. Afterwards, I, I dropped into Gold's gym and became a trainer there in early San on. Diego? Yeah, in San Diego. And that became very boring very quickly for me. Are you doing 10 reps? Are you doing eight reps, drop downs, eccentrics, all the fun stuff, right? And it became very boring, very predictable, and very narcissistic in, in most cases. And I got into more Eastern philosophy then, started really going into the stepping out of physics. Uh, much more into more of a quantum realm and doing psychology. And once I really got into the everything from Jung's work, the flow state that it really came out with uh, Chidet Mahali uh, in the 90s kind of influenced me on to, okay, how does the mind work? And once I saw the EEG, I went, oh, we can control this. We can take that and relearn our connections, our networks how we produce ourselves in the world. And it's all about self-regulation at that point. Can you turn your switch on? Can you turn your switch off? Are you overthinking? Are you underthinking? What's your attention level? And probably in the late 90s, I, I never looked back after that because the EEG is a beautiful thing and we can determine a lot and there's still a lot we don't know at the same time. So it keeps me engaged and interested. And I see the transition of, maybe a normal high-functioning individual into an exquisite state of, of just concentration and relaxation and, and ease of product, basically the, the end point being more of a flow state that, that we look at and the ability to just control these states of consciousness. And then once you gain the control, where do you go with that? And that's what I'm really doing right now. That's Amazing. So ironically, I actually did multiple hours of EEG last Friday, just a few days ago. Leaving there, I wasn't really given any action items. Like, hey, this is what I see and this is what you should do to intervene and improve. And that, that's kind of where it seems to break down for most people, I think, is you know, the only intervention that I've ever been aware of is neurofeedback. And I'm sure that's one intervention, but I'd be very curious to, maybe if you want to walk us through uh, what you're looking at when you're looking at an EEG and the different states of, of kind of brain electricity and brain excitation, I guess. If you could define that for the average listener, and then we could walk through maybe what you're seeing on a typical brainwave scan. So typically we'll do a brain map before we start anything. And in that brain map, I'm looking at all the metrics. You know, we're looking at power, how much power these neurons. We're looking at connectivity. We're looking at asymmetry. We're looking at, at, within that connectivity, the coherence, how, how well they're communicating back and forth between these networks and these nodes in the brain. So we can really reduce it down to different areas, communicating in a very specific way under different loads. And once I look at that, you know, like a lot of high functioning people have a certain amount of OCD. Their, their, their prefrontal cingula is kind of a little bit overfiring. They're overthinking things. They're really pushing hard. It might take a little bit to perform well, but that also gets in the way. 
And, and once they learn to control that, turn it on and off based on what they're doing, life becomes a lot easier. And they don't fall into that aspect of overstressed individuals that have a breakdown, you know, three to five years into something really intense. And so we're looking at those things. I also look at slow cortical potential, and that's produced more by the glia cells, the different cells in the brain. And what we're doing is looking at the core value of kind of like the electrical system in the brain. How is this cortical potential? Because once you bring that up to a certain point or you can control that, you can turn full areas of the brain on and off. And that's the key to any state change. And then as we start training, we're, we're looking for efficiency. And probably what you experience too, neurofeedback is very nebulous. You get hooked up and, and you're looking at a visual process, right? Your, your screen and you're getting an auditory process. Sometimes you have tactile uh, processes to, to give you feedback too. For blind or deaf individuals, we'll, we'll use something like that. Or with autistic spectrum, the vibration is uh, it may be very good for them if it's not too overstimulating. And once we look at those different components, you know, you're, you're looking at the screen, you're hearing the audio coming back to you. By the time you're aware of that, the process has already happened in the brain. The neurons have already fired and they've already reset by the time you're aware of anything going on. So if you're consciously trying to control this, you've already missed the boat. So all you have to do is, is be that, that reflection, that mirror, and you're the eyes and ears for the brain. So you're, you know, you're, you're just watching easily, basically, in a way that you can take in the information and not be attached. You have intentionality, which you want to set up beforehand. So the brain with intention, if you say, hey, I want to do well, I want to focus better, or I want to get more relaxed, you have that intention. And by the time that information comes back through and you've already set that intention, it's going to start modulating how the brain fires. And it doesn't matter what frequency it's in, it, it depends more on state changes. And then we can get dialed down into the frequencies. Basically, everyone has the frequ- all the frequencies all the time. It just depends on what's dominant and where and the signaling between networks and nodes and the communication between them, wh- whether it's over control or under control or, or a balance. And then at that point, once you train enough, you become very efficient. So you, do, you don't need as much push to get into those states. It, it becomes ingrained, uh, much like muscle memory. You know, if I asked you to do uh, a bicep curl right now, you, you would know exactly how that feels. It'd be very easy for you. But if you've never done one before, it, it's a whole different game. Fascinating. So you mentioned something there. I actually don't even remember the, the term specifically, but it was kind of in the, in the realm of like the power that the brain is putting out. And obviously that's a very individual thing and likely variable at certain times of the day, certain times of, of, of the year. I'm curious um, if you could talk a little bit more about that and, and how much we have influence over that. Is that genetic? Is that uh, age-related? Is that health-related? All of the above? Could we walk through that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It's all of the above. I, I mean, there's a number of different factors. So you have age-related kind of degeneration that then they happen due to environment and, and stress. We don't want that. 
and and I'll go into a little bit more of that in a moment. You have genetics, you know, our family with ADHD or epilepsy will tend to pass it down. You have the ability to to control it throughout the day, but there's optimal windows when people feel the best. Physiologically, when the brain and the body are warmed up, when when you're balanced. But with all that being said, the, the most important thing here is sleep. And, and that's one of the first things we always work on. If you don't have a, a great sleep architecture, then your days are, are suboptimal. And you, you don't wake up well, your, your attention scores are down, your speed of processing is down. You're not having these incredible ideas that you should be having and, or have the ability to have because you're just struggling with a deficit all, the, all day long. And once you really bring yourself back up to the point of your lack of sleep deprivation, I mean, we're, there's so many people out there, I guess, especially with high-end executives, they're always sleep deprived. Yep. And they say, oh, I'm fine with five hours. They're not. Neurologically, they're not. And, and, and we see that as, as they get you know, over 50, over 60 years old, we, we see the degradation that happens. We see the slowing in the frequencies in the prefrontal cortex. And... It really uh, takes away their sharpness, takes away their focus, and, and their processing ability, and their ability to shift. We, we want a brain that responds when it's needed, not to be on all the time or off all the time, or in, in this uh, Satori state, this enlightened state, you just kind of blissed out all, all the time. We, we want to be able to engage when we want to engage, and then go into these other states when we choose. And part of it's an energy metabolism, right? Your, your mitochondria are a big thing. I'm a big proponent of not only sleep, but getting the, the right energetics going into the brain. So I'll use the combination of cranial electrical stimulation, PEMF or pulsed electromagnetic fields, which is by far my favorite. And, and then you could do adjunct, whether it's photobiomodulation, which is turning out to be a very powerful mechanism or slowing down of the brain, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, mm. and, and post-COVID too. So if someone comes in with that COVID brain, the, the brain fog, and photomodulation really helps that sharpen back up. This is what we're seeing. Awesome. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there. So if we were to start, again, the, the third, we could talk about this for hours, I'm sure. If we were to start kind of going through each of those interventions to increase electrical, potential electrical capacity in the brain, so you mentioned uh, transcranial uh, stimulation, PEMF, photobiomodulation. Would the intervention depend on what you see at the level of the EEG? Or would you say there's a certain protocol that may be standardized, like, hey, everyone would benefit from these protocols? Because I think those in general are things you can access at home, maybe not the electrical stimulation, but in general, those are things that people may just have in their home. Like, and I've got a PEMF mat that I... Now, is it directly applied to the head or is it just like uh, the vicinity or, or how does that all work? Well, it depends on the power of the frequency, really. Like I'll, I'll use the pulse PEMF and it's it's a giant machine. You know, it's not anything that's really portable, but it's powerful. The more acute something is, the more power you want in, in that moment for like something like pain. But a lot of chronic condition, you could use the mat and something that it's a long-term type you don't need as, as much power typically in the beginning and, and you can move toward that toward once you start getting better a lot of people tend to use pmf at a certain power level 
that's too strong for them in the moment. They can't. They detox pretty quickly and and they have some potentially negative side effects. I don't see much, but you get the headache. You you, you get the uh, all over flu feeling, basically, th- that may occur. And that's just the caveat of you know pay attention to how much you know you're you're doing power wise into this. Now frequencies, and and you were asking, do you put it on the head? And I use certain devices for the head and certain devices for the body, like the the pulse for the body, and that and then there's a one that has a Pico Tesla that I'll use for the head and just a little electrical and we'll control it based on the brain map. So we'll look at the brain map and go, okay, they're going to operate very well at this frequency. Typically, you know, with a mat, a lot of people will be at about 10 hertz or 7.81 or 8.3 and the Schumann frequency versus alpha frequencies. And you, you can apply those to the head. Yeah, and what you're doing is feeding that information, that the, that energy process into the mitochondria so they can operate better. And I haven't seen any problems with that. And it it makes a huge difference very quickly. Now with transcranial electrical stimulation like TDCS or TACS, alternating current versus a direct current, you want to be very specific about that. It can have intense results based on where you put it on the brain. And I use that in correspondence with their brain map and or the outcome they they want. Like you know, some people come in and want, hey, I heard about this DARPA protocol. I want to learn faster. I'll, I'll do that. Or hey, I'm feeling kind of depressed. This and the shift we see prefrontally um, that, that we can adjust with these things, whether it's PEMF or transcranial, and. A lot of times people will start learning how to shut off certain areas if you're using a, a TDCS or a transcranial DC current. So you could actually um, put an electrode in a certain place on the head and actually make it so it's not firing as much, so it quiets it down. Like prefrontally, we'll, we'll do that with someone that has an anxiety disorder or OCD, something that we look at beta spindle and will reduce those so they can turn on and off at will and then eventually not have it running in the background kind of like a, one of those pesky apps that just never shuts out so this isn't something someone should be doing at home arbitrarily guessing which parts of the brain they would put on this definitely needs to be done with the professional it's it's best to do that um there are there are certain instances that can lead to a lot of difficulties in someone's life uh, they're not doing the right frequency that can really impact attention for a bit. It could last days, uh, even weeks if their brain is unstable. So we want to make sure someone's not neurologically unstable before we kind of go off on this path of stimulation. Uh, photobiomodulation doesn't seem to have a, a much of an issue and is a lot safer. So we use it in older adults a lot. You, you have a, a few different basically helmets out there that people are using now that will stimulate, you know, based on the frequency. And uh, a new one coming out, Sunday, ha- has the ability to look at your frequencies and then feedback the proper frequencies to you based on your own brain. And, and that's the game changer. The other ones don't do that. So this is just a progression in the field. Yeah. So you said an unstable brain, and I think that kind of brings us back to where we started in the beginning. You talk about these different areas of the brain that may be misfiring or 
not not coordinated. Is that really what you're referring to when you say someone has an unstable brain? It's just like some area that's maybe overactive or others that are underactive? In a sense, uh, it goes much deeper than that. It means that the brain can be pushed off of uh, its track very easily. So if you go in and someone's flashing lights in, in a movie theater and you're going into see your, you, you have a very unstable brain. It, it, if if you get very reactive to everything around you and you can feel your state changes, whether it's anger or, or, or crying or, or just reactivity, um, it's not it's not very stable at that point. We want to get it so the amygdala is not screaming, you know, or the insulin is not overreacting to threat detection. And it, it can happen in different aspects. A lot of people auditorily and visually, this, the, the sensory processing becomes very unstable at their weak point. So you can be fine all day until you hit that point of exhaustion in the evening. And those instabilities come up and it show you basically who you are, where, where the cracks in the pavement are, um, whether you're more sensitive to light, whether you're more sensitive to sound, whether you're just irritated with everything around you. So you're looking at these components as you bring up your resilience, those things fall away. So it gives your 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 ceiling a much higher gauge to enact and engage with everything around you without being taxed. So, so someone who's experiencing that, you know, this is maybe a vast generalization, but is it like the overactivity of the amygdala? They're just amygdala is just firing kind of uh, uncontrollably and, and they're getting those those responsive or those reactive uh, emotions being kicked off? Yeah, it, it can be part of it. I, typically, we have a, a number of different networks that feed into it that are overfeeding, you know, and telling that, oh, hey, there's threat here. Let's let's react. Or underfeeding it. You you get people that are just, they they, they miss the cues. They, they, they miss all the things that can lead them into danger. Hmm. Or, or they're creating the danger themselves just based on, on those very lightly stable or unstable networks in the brain. And we, we all have different parts of the brain that are stronger than others or overproducing. And um, we just have to gauge what the brain map says with your experiential aspect. So we'll go through some testing on that and see, okay, wh wh where do you fall in this peak performance level? And what do we what do we increase? Do, do we bring up your resilience? Do we bring up your attention? Do we bring that those wisdom centers online so you're not reactive? How, how is your emotional reactivity? You know, how is the emotional intelligence? Are you able to gauge something? That's incredibly fascinating. So it sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, we can isolate specific either aspects of the brain or functions of the brain that allow us to isolate specific desired end states. So if I want to be better emotionally regulated, if I want to be more capable of learning, I can, you can specifically identify the areas that are deficient, bring it up to what you would identify as a peak performance brain state, and then create that. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And, and within that, what we tend to do is once certain areas are, are very stable and very strong, they tend to lift other things up. So if there's an energy deficit in a certain area and a certain frequency, it can affect this flew across the, the whole range of frequencies. And once that stabilized, all of a sudden the others start looking better too. So it could have some really incredible benefits uh, across the board. 
what would cause an energy deficit in a specific area of the brain, like other than, you know, blunt force concussion type stuff? Is there something with the sleep? Is this the reason? Global, typically. And and depending on the weakness of the brain, it'll come up in certain areas and and, and we'll see it pop up on one side or the other prefrontally or in the back. As it progresses, it becomes what we call blue brain. And and the reason why we call it blue brain is the gauge on our brain map that when you're a, a few deviations down um, out of the norm of optimal functioning, that the energy is just not there to produce such frequency. And so you have a, a number of different things. Environment is a big thing. People that have had you know everything from uh, Lyme's disease to COVID, we'll see a lot of blue brains with those. Um, certain heavy metal impact it, uh, impacts it. Lack of nutrients, the proper nutrients whether you're not getting enough magnesium or potassium, copper, whatever going on in your life. And a lot of people with um, irritation in the gut or Crohn's or IBS or something like that will also have a deficit too that we've seen across the board. So we always get the gut balanced out there too because that's a big input into the brain. I just to that. So blue brain, just to understand it in maybe layman's terms, is it like slow brain, a brain brain that isn't, willing to or able to adapt to the environment of the circumstance create the state that we're looking to yeah it doesn't create the state but think of it more as torque so we don't have the strength to get going if you if you're pulling a big load you just don't have it you don't have the energy to output that type of of mental facility to get into those states what would be some of the symptoms that someone sitting at home right now might be able to identify themselves as saying, hey, I, I have something that may resemble a blue brain. I should do something about this. Chronic fatigue is a big one. Afternoon slumps are a big thing. When you're pushed to a certain point neurologically, had a stressful day, you've had a number of meetings, you've had some something physically tacked you, and you're not able to focus or plan or, or do anything sequential after that. It's always a big thing. You're not able to get into creative states. You're not able to jump into flow. But let's say you know you're a musician or, or you're a pilot. You, you, you're just you're getting by, but you're not getting into the state. That you know where where the clarity is, where the ease of function is. One of my mentors early on told me anything worth doing is worth doing effortlessly, and that means it doesn't mean it's worth doing with in, in a sense that it really gets into uh, mastery. If you've done something quite a few times and, and mastered it, it becomes very easy in the flow. Uh, so, someone that has done something very well for a long time, especially someone with blue brain, is able to get into those areas effortlessly. It's a lot of effort to get there. And by the time they get there, they're neurologically taxed and they don't stay there. So it may be a blip and then they're, they're back down again. Fascinating. So again, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, it sounds like step one is brain energy, right? I need to make sure that I'm doing everything environmentally, sleep-wise, dietarily, gut-wise, to ensure that my brain has the adequate uh, capacity to produce energy. Start there. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, if you're going to do a marathon, don't go on a week-long fast right before that. <laughs> mm. It would 
would really tax your system. But but we tend to do that every night. We don't sleep well if, if we're not in a good routine. If we're not taking care of ourselves mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if we know that's the base of the pyramid, let's optimize for brain energy. And so you mentioned a number of things there. Is there any specific nutrient protocols that you would advocate for? You know, so if we know that we've got to sleep well. So anyone that comes into my community knows the top two priorities for optimization of performance are sleep and gut health across the board because those are at the base of the pyramid. Moving up from there, is there any any nutrients or any specific interventions? Like, do you see a huge up, up, uh, kick up with aerobic fitness or anything specific nutrient wise that you're like, hey, this is this is a non negotiable. So so as as far as like let, let's start an exercise. Um, walking it tends to be one of the best things you can do. 45 minutes a day. Not the only thing. And people doing hit training or, or high intensity interval training for a very short period of time show a big boost during that too. You can, well, you got your meditation and your red light therapy and your your saunas and hyperbaric oxygen or feedback, which is phobaric. Um, those all enhance that. PEMF enhances it directly. Um, Nutrient-wise, MCT or medium chain triglycerides are a huge thing. Fats are a huge thing. Proper fat. Um, mm-hmm. Your DHA and EPA make a big difference on this. Coenzyme Q10, love that. Uh, with PQQ is the great one. Um, I dose or just like typical one or two or milligrams? It depends on the quality and, and how you absorb it. You know, I, I, I tend to do sublingual. Mm-hmm. Um, Glutamine with turmeric with curcumin is, mm-hmm. is the, another big factor for the gut and the brain. Good. So let, let, let's say you're you're getting done with a, a big, you know, meeting or a really hard test or a really hard workout. If you include glutamine along with uh, the the turmeric and curcumin along with some adaptogen, it's really bringing you back rather quickly. Just like supporting gut health and adrenal function to make sure the cortisol is working correctly and. And obviously, you need uh, the right amount of calcium, potassium, and, and magnesium. Magnesium being a big factor, uh, and zinc tends to be one of those ones that uh, we fall short on a lot of times. And that helps create the myelin sheath and the regrowth, the neurogenesis. Very cool. Would you would you mind going through and describing the delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma states? Because I've heard different theories from different guests, as well as different experts that I've worked with personally, on you know what's the most important ratio of beta to theta, or you know the, the percentage of alpha you're getting is most important, or you know these different like approaches and theories. No one's ever really been able to give a definitive answer. I'm sure it's different based on objective, but I'm curious if you have any insights into uh, maybe just define those states for people or, or what they're most correlated with. I know you acknowledge that we have them all at all times. But if I were to go and do an EEG, what would I be looking for? We, we really want to look at this in the state of uh, architectural or, or cytoarchitectural function, not just an isolated band or frequency in the brain. And I can tell you probably all your guests were correct in their own sense. <laughs> There's not one answer. If you're looking at, 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 you know, like your alpha, you know, well, where is that alpha? Is it being produced? Can, can you shut it down or open it up? based on your performance. So let me give you a couple of examples of this and, and we'll walk through the frequencies then. So like if, if someone is 
doing an Olympic sport event or they're going to throw a baseball or uh, they're getting ready for a, a big intervention where a lot of physicality comes into it. Like a, a, a uh, if you're doing powerlifting, like if you're doing a deadlift or something like that. We need uh, typically a, a, a pulse on, on the left side of, of alpha before it happens. And that means success typically in anything, whether you're throwing the touchdown pass or, or hitting that home run, you need that burst to happen there. If that's not happening, it's a micro state within a bigger state. So all the other components have to be there setting that up for that to happen. And once that happens, everything else flows through. So it's, it's just a, a small brief intervention during that time, but it's very important. And if that doesn't happen, typically there's failure. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a learning thing. Um, so, so within the frequencies, let's look at delta. Del- delta is, is low moving one to four cycles per second, and it's typically what we get into when we're we're asleep, and we want that architecture to be there. Now, if we have it up in power with with our eyes open, that then generally signifies and a brain injury, and we'll look at that. So you'll get someone that's been in a motor car or motorcycle accident or, you know, they've hit their head because they fell. They'll come in and we'll look at that. It's overproducing the delta because they don't, these cells have been damaged and they can't control the frequency. But delta in a bigger context is kind of like the ocean that everything else rides on. And if your delta levels are proper, it's easier to fire the other frequencies. It's easier to control those other frequencies. That's why the blue brain, especially in delta, really indicates a, a poor functioning brain. And you may be functioning all, all right at home or at work, but the potential of you operating at, at a much higher state, it, if you have a blue brain and you're operating like that already, it is just uh, astronomical. It, it really you have a lot of people have much greater capacity than, than what they've been used to. They just haven't cultivated that. They they haven't put in the time to really do that. Now, theta is, is the next frequency up. It's like four to eight cycles per second, four to seven cycles per second. So the seven to eight cycles per second that cusp between alpha and theta. But theta is more of the hypnagogic state. It, it's what we're producing when we're dreaming too. And you'll see theta come up in, in dreamlike state. When we're doing training and we're going into theta, what we're doing is going deep internal. So it's a lot. When you're between the years of one and seven years old, typically we'll have a lot more theta production, or, or we we are predominantly in theta, and, and we become just the sponge for absorbing information. And as we get older, the brainwave feed up into alpha and then into beta. But during that time, you're able to absorb information like you've never done before. So that's why people going to hypnosis or hypnagogic uh, states will help them kind of learn better or process better. And it's also a state where, where we resolve a lot of early childhood trauma. So PTSD and childhood trauma if we're working with theta or alpha theta, as we combine them, 
Um, we do that for emotional regulation and basically bringing out these traumas out of ourselves and letting them go because we'll hold on to them neurologically. What's the magic potion? That's not normal water in there. What you got? Oh, it's um, AMPK and glutamine and some cordyceps in here. AMPK in a supplement form? Yeah, liquid form. Trying it out. See how it goes. The next one up is alpha. And, and alpha is such a big bridge for everything. It goes from 8 to 12 cycles per second. And if you don't have a good alpha bridge, if you're if you don't close your eyes and alpha is not coming up, that, that means usually you've suppressed a lot of trauma. And a lot of guys with PTSD that I've worked with in the military, you'll see that. They'll close their eyes, alpha is just flatline all the way through. And they're not able to get out of that fight or flight mode. And that's the bridge between that fight or flight mode. It doesn't mean that you don't want the fight or flight mode when appropriate, but when you close your eyes, that should shut off. Like you're not, don't rev your engine in the uh, garage, right? You're not going 60 miles. You know, that, that's appropriate for the highway, not appropriate for the garage. And neurologically, we, we think a lot the same way. W- with alpha, it, it, it comes in birch. It, it comes in what we call these alpha spindle. And typically, like if you're new to meditation or, or, or new to these altered states, uh, we see it mainly in the back of the head. And as you get more advanced, it starts moving toward the front along the, the center line here. And really advanced, you start getting other frequencies layered on top of it. And it, it just shows the healthy brain. And once that moves all the way forward, then we're training the frequencies there frontally, especially with alpha. These are the static states that we tend to get into when it starts layering the other frequencies. But alpha is key. If, if you're not producing enough alpha in very specific spots, then you're, you're not going to get into the state. You're not going to get into flow without alpha. Did you say ecstatic states? Ecstatic states. The, the bliss. You're, you're, yeah. it, it, it's much like a whole body and a whole mental orgasm in a, in a way. It's a, a kundalini response. You yeah. see you, you know, alpha being the cornerstone or some of these states. So that just drew a, a great line in my brain, and I want to know if it makes sense. So someone then, obviously, who doesn't have this this alpha state may not experience ecstatic states to the same extent that someone who does would experience. So someone potentially who, who's under less stress or not doing the meditation could expect to lose the ability to experience states of joy, states of, states of ecstasy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and wow. alpha, al- alpha tends to be that that predecessor uh, for your ability for sensory integration too. So, tasting food. If you're training alpha, you're. It's not that the food is better. You're able to taste a wider range. You're able wow. to hear a right uh, a wider range. You're able to sense the visual kind of like expansion in your in your range too. I. I typically always train alpha before I go into a concert because it just enhances, you know, being in the audience and, and, and being with everything. It just really enhances. That's why a lot of people do alcohol. Alcohol yep. increases alpha, right? Huh. Uh, marijuana increases alpha and theta typically. So, you know, the, they're doing the substances naturally to kind of 
maybe gain a more sense, even though it dulls the senses, <laughs> but a whole different area in the brain. But naturally, if you can get into that uh, component, it just really enhances what's coming in. Yeah, so I just kind of like, you know, thought for a moment there, maybe felt for a moment there, like what intense alpha makes, may, may, how it makes enhance your experience in a concert. And it's almost like for me, I mean, if this is wrong, it, it's just like connecting. Like you're going to connect to the vibration. You're going to connect to the experience on a different level. Would that feel like, is that what you're? It does connect. It'd be because your sensory processing is yeah. perfected at that point. That's fascinating. Gosh, what, what, a, what a bridge you just drew there for, I think, all the listeners out there to acknowledge that as we age, so I typically my audience is going to be 35-year-old high achievers and people who ultimately want to be the best version of themselves when they're 70, 80, 90 and beyond. And the absence of of delta is going to diminish our quality of life. So this is this is like a big, uh, you know, light going off here in everyone's face. Okay, pay attention. This needs to be something we build into our daily routines. Otherwise, your quality of life. And again, would would you say this is? And this is probably very subjective, but someone who isn't experiencing these states of joy and ecstasis naturally because of the absence of delta, would they be more inclined to to pursue things outside of themselves to? gratify themselves or achieve states of bliss with substances or things outside because they don't get it in their day-to-day life yeah so, so yeah the, the the absence of alpha typically is it's a safety factor right so when we come upon something that's scary or, or reactive or could lead possible death um we tend to shut down the this flowy aspect of alpha and when that threat is gone, then what we do is the alpha will return. And we want that to help. Yeah, we, we want that bridge of alpha to cut back and forth and be able to bring up alpha when when, when needed and then shut it down when also when we're engaged or attention. Um, the, the, the Baker component too is our ability to find pleasure, uh, in life. And a lot of times with, without that bridge, we, we tend to be very cynical. There's a lot of cynical people out there. Yes. They're awesome at, at finding something wrong in everything that you do or the way you look or the way you breathe. Um, let's take a, a couple, for example. Like I, I, I love doing cu- couple synchrony training with Alpha. So we take two people and hook them up, and when they're in synchrony, what happens is that they start flowing together, and all of a sudden they're producing Alpha together. When both their brains are producing it at the same time, at you know the right frequency to the right pace, and all of a sudden they start feeling different about each other. So, so that agitation, that angst. That, that people get with, with just the normalization of, oh, I've been with this person a long time and, you know, I'm, I'm just not really in tune with everything because of our stretching from the outside. But once they start breathing together, like HRV, heart rate variability, doing the breathing together, and that enhances alpha too. And that's such a big component. And that, that would be one of the things I really would push with any team is do HRV breathing and do training together do it wow. every day uh so if you're on a lifting team together right 
do it together every day. Just 10 minutes, just 15 minutes at the most, right? If you're doing that, all of a sudden, you start working as a team. And I, I've seen that in some uh, military uh, kind of elite groups that I've worked with. When they start dropping into those states, we see the production uniformly across all the brain. And uh-huh. the I- ideas flow so much easier. If you have an executive group, the CEO, CFO, all that stuff, and they're doing the breathing or even doing alpha training directly, but if they're doing the breathing beforehand with the HRV and really getting into that heart coherence before every meeting, it just makes it so much easier. Everyone becomes much more agreeable. They're not a pushover, but but they're open to new ideas. If you want to shut yourself down from new ideas, shut down your alpha. Fascinating. So anyone who's in stress is going to lose their alpha. So the coherence breathing we're looking at five to six breaths per minute. So maybe like a five in, five out, or four in, six out, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I, I would go out longer. Four in, six out, five in, seven out. It depends, you know, do you want six breaths a minute, five breaths a minute, and kind of find your optimal pace. There's a number of different HRV components um, out there that are very cheap, 100 bucks, that you can train. Is there one that you advocate or prefer? So there's a couple. Uh, math is the easy oh, one to great. do. That's the one you clip to your ear, yeah? Yeah, it's very easy to use. And the the Thunfei that's coming out here shortly uh, also does that. And, and that gives you direct feedback on that. Everything else, is, it's okay, but but I would suggest those two. You're connected to that company? Yeah, I, I helped develop um, a lot of the programs in that. But it's not out yet. Soon, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, it'll, it'll happen. So I think, I think when Matt, Matt was on the podcast probably now two months ago, he was telling me about it. Does he have one? Or he's, cause he's telling me all about it. He's like, this thing's going to be it. And I think I followed him on social media, but there's no... Uh, he's, about he's looked at it, but he, he's seen the beta. Uh, version of it okay uh, but the final production is, is being produced right now and it, it's being shipped i i don't even have one yet so i'm right. kind of eager to get to it because it has the photobiomodulation it has the heart rate variability and it has the eeg all built in that you can just take around anywhere as like a helmet yes well like like a, a set of headphones basically uh, okay yep now it, it's the problem with like professional neurofeedback here is it takes a lot of stuff. And with this, it just makes it mobile and, and you can train a majority of things with it, about 80% of what I can do professionally. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable. I'm going to guess it's not a low price point then if it's doing 80% of what you're able to do. Um, clinic. Comparatively, it is. Right. It, it'll be yeah. about 12. Oh, that's not better. Compared to, you know, the systems I use, they're, you, they start at 10,000 and then go up from there, depending on how much software and hardware you want to get. Looking at the physiology while you're looking at EEG or improving some of these brain outcomes, are you looking at kind of skin conductance? Are you looking at uh, all those types of things as well when it comes to optimizing brain states? In, in some people, yes, if that's required for them. We look at temperature, uh, distal temperature. That's an easy thing everyone can do to train temperature. So if you typically have cold hands or cold feet, it's usually a stress response. And if you just train the temperature in, in your fingertips and your toes, it shifts everything metabolically. When you say train temperature? 
What is that? Yeah, you just you you can hold a, a thermometer, or you, you can get a um, a temperature trainer online for twenty, thirty bucks, and just hold it and focus on it, and, and imagine the uh, temperature going up, and your brain hmm. is going to respond to that, and it's going to increase the blood flow to those areas, and after a couple of weeks, you can actually increase the temperature of your, of your fingers. And it, it means better blood flow, better oxygen exchange, better nutrient exchange. And it all not only happens in the fingertips, it happens throughout the body. The vascular signatures shift. And we see that in the brain too. So it's better blood flow in the brain. And that's something very simple that people can do. Yeah. Also, probably another reason why the cold exposure is becoming so prominent to, to help the body be more effect, effective at regulating blood temperature. Right. So, so you go in and right, it, it pulls everything together, but then you have the rebound effect afterward. And that's what they want to get into. And then you have all the endorphins and all the neurotransmitters that are, you know, produced because of it. And it's really wonderful for the system. Maybe not a hundred percent of the people out there uh, do well with it, depending on their disease, their disorder. But majority of people really benefit from this in, in short interval, short interval. Dr. Pearson, we talk about a peak performance or high performance brain. What comes to mind as far as what the brain state may look like as far as coherence and, and, and energy? And could you just kind of give us some desired end states? So the, the first, what you want to do is make sure you have a, a calm system. You, you want this aspect of executive function and cognition and arousal and motor activation and motor planning, all these things have to come into play. And it's like it's like dividing a density. So you, you want your string section to be in time with, with, with the percussion. You, you want your horns to emphasize at the proper moment and everyone being well, otherwise the cacophony, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to have this cold brain and at certain frequencies at high alpha or low beta then tends to be one of the frequencies that we really concentrate on. It's called FMR, sensory motor rhythm. And it goes between 12 to 15 hertz. So we want to be able to produce that consistently under, you know, under stress. So when you're coming into something, if you're relaxed in a central nervous system-wise, your, your sympathetic is not screaming at you and the parasympathetic is balanced in there, you're able to change gears quite effectively. And that's what it really comes down to, control. Efficiency and control and the ability to step in and step out of the state of consciousness. So if you're, you're doing golf and, and you're swinging that golf club, but you get tight three quarters and you're way through, you're going to screw up that that hit or that putt every yeah. time. But if you're flowing all the way through and you've already neurologically gauged that swing all the way through, it becomes easeful and, and you don't even feel hitting the ball. It's just one of those ease of flow aspects. And per- performance fights, whether you're driving, whether you're riding, you, you want to fall into these places that are in between the the, the excite, excitation aspect, the reactivity, and, and the relaxation. You don't want to get too relaxed where you're not engaged. 
right? Where you're kind of pushing in your your clutch and you don't have any engagement at all but switching in and out of those very quickly. Now, once you get to a certain point, we start seeing these budding of uh, upper frequency. So I, I touched on SMR, and that was the early research experiment back in the late 60s, early 70s. And he, he was one of my mentors early on. So he, he did the uh, pilots at NASA and uh, epilepsy, and he worked with SMR for epilepsy at first. And then we found out that it really enhances peak performance. So I'll, I'll use it in all my uh, guys that do baseball, that, that play guitar, that, that are singing or, or whatever. And it just really enhances their ability to stay relaxed, stay engaged. And then we get into beta, which we're kind of in right now, typically up to about 38 cycles per second. So we think and we do, and, and if you have too much, I'm beta like over 30 hertz, 25 to 30 hertz, we tend to really get into the anxious state. And, and that anxious state really pulls back your ability to get into the other state. And it takes away your efficiency. It's like pushing on your steering wheel to make the car go faster. It just doesn't work. Right. But it tires you out, right? And then you get into the upper frequency, which is gamma. And... Once you've trained alpha enough and trained theta enough, you start really increasing gamma at, at those exquisite states. And this is the frequency of bliss. This is the frequency of eureka, of aha. This is where you can take third ideas, bring it together, and make it work. This is the insight frequency. And you tend to start producing gamma all the time once you've been training these other frequencies. It, it's it, it rides on the other frequencies, kind of like the surfer on, on the uh, ocean. And it just appears and then disappears. It collapses just in spot. So like someone with autistic spectrum, they'll have almost no gamma. But as as their cognition, as, as you train them and their cognition comes up, the gamma will start appearing. And it's the frequency range of gamma above 38? 30, 38, uh, we can effectively train probably up to 50, 55 hertz. Unfortunately, if, if we're not drilling below the skull, it's really hard or if not impossible to train above that frequency. We can look at, at certain frequencies with transcranial uh, eight feet uh, above those frequencies and stim it or photobiomodulation too. We can get into the upper frequencies and stim it. We, we just can't neurologically get the right signal unless we're drilling below that full. Are you using are you using different light waves or um, light frequencies uh, of photobiomodulation to achieve different brain states? Or is it just like shining the light and it'll get there? It depends on the frequency. So so you have a number of different ones, you know, like 635 or 810 or 960. Certain ones do better at, at certain cognitive factors. Certain frequencies you can use over a longer period of time. Certain ones you have to use a shorter period of time or else it becomes just too much for the brain. Mm. But typically within the range between, you know, like 700 to 1100 is kind of a sweet spot for, and that's a whole other subject of, you know, what frequencies are you doing in nanometers uh, versus, you know, are you doing like a cool ether or something like that? 
is the, is the sunset going to have the ability to vary the range of um, frequency for light, or is it always at the same frequency? No, it, it 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 will change the range based on your brain. Now we have certain ranges that that we do because we know how they react in the brain, and if your brain isn't reactive to that, we can change the interaction of the photobiomodulation with the EEG factors. Fascinating. The listeners out there, a lot of the listeners are going to go, okay, I, w- I want to access transcranial direct current or transcranial AC current. Mm-hmm. W- would we assume that most brain clinics that someone could go into, into North America or Europe would have a general idea on how to do this stuff effectively? Or would that just be like a big stretch to assume that yeah, so we'll know how to do it? So you get a lot of people out there that do neurofeedback, right? They're good with one system. They, they, they've trained in one system, trained very well, and they get a lot of results. They, they may not go into electrophysiology, so they may not jump into the effect of what the transcranial uh, ability is uh, because it's not either within their scope of practice, it's not within their, you know, what they want to focus on. Certain uh, places out there ha- have everything, PMF, hyperbaric oxygen down to all the brains and they have all the toys right and, and they're very good at it so you, you really have to investigate what they do and why you want to be there you don't go in and say hey i just want transcranial dc i mean if you want to do that you can actually just order that off of amazon and try that there's a number of different things and it's the effects there are very transient with that and um pretty well felt so you'll understand what it is it feels like to be in these states. But you want someone that can do a brain map, want someone that, that knows the systems well and, and has had practice within that state. So if they're very new, it, it's very experimental. But there's one right. of really good practitioners out there. I have a, obviously fear, not obviously, but I have a fear around entrainment and like putting my, putting, you know, current into my brain or putting even, you know, beta, um, sounds into my ear, any reason to be hesitant around this stuff or is it pretty safe in general? I would be hesitant in the sense that like, if you have an anxiety disorder already and you're doing beta, right, it's, it's going to impact it and, and it might hype that aspect up in you which really feeds into, and all of a sudden you can't sleep even more and you're on edge even more. Or if you're depressed and, and you do one of these and you have a, the propensity of, of the swing into depression for a bit, it can really knock you down. So you have to be very careful about these things. For most normal brains that don't swing like that, uh, it's generally safe, but I can't say it's 100% by any means everyone reacts differently you 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 find out sometimes it's like oh i didn't know this was going on with me uh, i've been masking it by being and doing and, and being busy and if i slow down and, and take a look at myself uh there's a huge amount of fear there's a huge amount of depression going on and i just been yeah. calm for that. do you have any insights on binaural beats do you think those are effective uh any yeah so, so utility I, I really like them. It, it works into about 30 or 40% of the population. So it works really well for that percentage. For what specifically? Like to, to for entrainment. specific. So, so let's say we're yeah. doing like 
400 hertz in the left ear and 410 hertz in the right ear, it gives uh, it call we call it heterodyne. So we're looking at the separation of frequencies. So the brain starts oscillating at that difference, which is 10 hertz or, or alpha. And once it can catch that beat and follow along, it'll start oscillating at that frequency too. Now, people with auditory disparages and auditory processing disorders are not going to do as well. A majority of people process about 80% of their stuff over the left hemisphere if you're right-handed, about like 70% if you're left-handed in the, in the right hemisphere. So you really have to gauge what works for you. Isochronic beats are not the biarnal beats, but this really gets down into beat frequency that is just uh, this isolated frequency that you start following along, kind of like a drum beat in a way. And those work quite well too. Uh, is it going to work for all the percentages? No. Uh, photobiomodulation works better. I, okay. At least that's why I see. No complementary. Complementary. So the transcranial AC, if you're doing like, if you place the, the electrodes on the mastoid, the site behind the ear, and you're doing 10 hertz, it, it tends to reach that. So that's very strong. And I really like that with a lot of people. Is there a specific unit for that one other than the Sensei that's coming out? Is there something that you use right now? Sensei for photobiomodulation, it doesn't do the transcranial AC. Professionally, I just use professional systems uh, for that. I can't think of anything on the open market that isn't consistent, that you can buy it consistently. It, they'll be on Amazon for a bit, then disappear. I'll have to really look and see what the consumer level stuff is. I haven't looked at the consumer level of that in a bit. Very cool. What is uh, the thing that you're most excited about with what you're doing right now? Like what's on like the tip of the spear in your area that's really got you excited? I'm starting to do cerebellum training. And the cerebellum is kind of, it's back of the head, right? And it contains a huge amount of neuron. And we thought it was just motor gate type stuff. You know, when you're doing a, a test for uh, influence or a DUI or something like that, they'll, they'll have you do the, the, the nose thing and balance thing. So what, what they're looking at is the effect of the cerebellum on balance. And what we're finding is the cerebellum does so much more. We're, we're finding mood regulation. We're, we're finding addiction. We're, we're finding resilience coming from there. So by training this, it's really upping the output of what I've been doing recently. It's, it's been a phenomenal find for me. And How specifically are you training it? Well, we put on a full cap. So we have basically 19 to 24 electrodes all around the brain. And we're looking 3D into the brain with special calculation. And when it lights up on the different layers in the cerebellum, we can train it you know, on and off based on the frequency, based on communication between them. I'm finding the balance between the two communication-wise, coherence-wise is essential. So once they communicate uh, through the vermis, it's like the moth-like thing that oversits the um, part of the cerebellum communication between two. And once that is really engaged strongly, one side, a lot of people have one side versus the other stronger, kind of like your right arm or left arm. And once you integrate those, it just makes life so much easier. You don't react as much. Your mood is better. You're not going into these, whether it's a major or minor addiction type of set patterns. So, you know, are you jumping on your phone if you feel uncomfortable? Are you 
you know, gambling or, or are you just doing things, whether it's drinking, whether it's other activities too, shopping, things that, that really fall into the category of, of compensation for this dysfunction. And that really helps those means get into balance so you're not just living in this reactive mode. And then the resilience goes way up. So your ability to handle threat goes way up. Is the only way to train the coherence left to right or the balance, uh, as you say, with some type of external entrainment with the uh, direct current or, or is there something I could be doing day to day that's you know going to allow me to access that? Um, there's a program called Brain Gym that really helps. The cross-crawl techniques are a big factor for that. And if you do those in the gym, if, if you set up a whole thing of uh, brain gym in your gym, right? In your kind of daily practice, it, it may seem weird, but it will help people function better neurologically. Hmm. And that's something you can do at home. I'll absolutely look it up. I think I've used it in the past, actually. I've had a friend who's in the military who used to train me on that stuff, but I'll look up what kind of the latest advancements are and see. Absolutely uh, report back. And, and, and where I came up with this um, in, in functioning is I was training a lot of kids with a lot with learning disabilities and cognitive disorders, but they all complete sport. And after they started doing that, in combination, if they did it every day, the parents would make sure that they did it every day. They would start functioning better in their sport. Mm-hmm. It really impacted that. That's fascinating. What does your daily time commitment look like personally to improve or optimize your brain function? There's a couple things I do typically daily. I have a, a sound chair, a vibroacoustic sound chair that feeds, kind of <laughs> feeds my soul. It takes is, a, is there a specific brand? Um, this is one I built. There are probably a couple out there, and Interstance, I think it's it's one of them, and Stolentron. I, I think it's been 20 years since I've even had one. Yeah, I, I created the chair. I, I built a number of chairs back in the uh, mid-90s that have fiber acoustic tactile information being fed through. So we can feed frequencies into the body. So I'll do that daily for recovery. I'll do the PEMF daily just for health. Uh, and the sauna. the pulse. pulse. That's like a like a big, you, you can actually feel that tactically, right? You can feel yeah. how strong that is. It'll throw you off the table if you turn it up too high. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a phenomenal, one, one of the best units I've ever come across. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with, with something so strong you feel it, like in general, go for it. Uh, again, with the acute disorders, depending on your practitioner, you can use that stronger effect, right? Okay. And, and then the more chronic stuff, it really depends. Um, so like a lot of PMF units, it's all gauged in gout, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if you're using the transcranial magnetic, magnetic, the TMS, the magnetic stimulation of the brain, they'll, they'll, they'll use up to like 30,000 gauss, which is huge, right? A lot of the ones on the market that you use for mats only have one gauss. You, you want at least 200 if you're going to get get it. Don't waste your time with being too low. I mean, this, do they produce it? Yes, it's going to affect you. Mm, I doubt it. Um, but get get something that has a, a decent amount of energy that comes through, and it, it, you know it's going to range from a thousand to 
$35,000 in, in the sense of, of what you get. Yeah. Um, there, there's a doctor out there, Dr. Pollock, that has a, a good site um, that kind of breaks a lot of the different systems down so people can look at his site and um, reference that. So you break down all the PMFs? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a wonderful resource. Um, personally, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm going to use the poll. That's what I have, and that's what I really like, and I get the effect. Right. Um, so Pollock is P-A-W-L-U-K, is that right? Yes. I'll do brain training a couple times a week, uh, typically in intense burst. I, I don't train every day. Um, with the Sensei coming out, I'm going to be training every day for the next couple of years because there's a whole program for the next two years that comes out of that. And uh, kind of really upping the ratchet, be able to meditate better, focus better, uh, go into deep state better, produce the gamma better, right? To this exquisite, help that creativity, help the speed of processing. And with that too, we'll be able to look at your speed of processing too. You'll be able to t- test it effectively. Wow. Which is a huge factor in being able to think on your toes and uh, risk and be able to navigate anything that's not set and, and remembered. Are you a guitar player? I'm much more of a collector. I, I played back in the day, but you know, there's a, I'm a better collector than than player for sure. Are these are these special ones behind you? Oh yeah, that's Zach Wild from Aussie and Black Label Society. Uh, this is from Queensrÿche when they played in MPV. Silent Lucidity, and of course, Eddie Van Halen's piece here. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I like those guys. Yeah. And you don't take them down and try to, try to keep up with Eddie? Uh, I, I have other ones I play. Um, these are, I don't touch them. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. They're all played and signed. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, don't touch them. That's phenomenal. So, I would predict or I presume that playing guitar would be incredible for creating a flow state, for creating uh, optimized brain state. Does that sound like anything that seems like it, it requires that level of focus and mastery, what I usually associate with flow states? Yeah. Anything like that, any physicality, whether it's opera singing or guitar playing or music in general, opens up the right side of the brain and really helps that creative flow. Like, like you and I, uh, as, as males, we, we have this very small spindle in the corpus callosum across both hemispheres. It doesn't let information go through. Like, w- w- women have a highway. We have a, a one-way bridge. Well, you know, to, we're, we're much better typically at, at front-to-back thinking. And um, we, we don't integrate hemispheres well. And once that is integrated well, the creativity, especially training on the right side of the brain, really increases your peak performance overall. And we always train that, whether you're throwing a ball or, you know, at the symphony or even riding in flow. Uh, such an essential aspect. Can you, can you explain what front or back to front thinking means as compared to left to right? Well, front to back thinking is sequential thinking. We're really good at building plans and, and doing that sequentially. People say they, they, they do uh, multitasking. There's no such thing. It's, you're fractionalizing attention in, in that sense. But these long, like if you want to increase your, your long connection here, 
like you can drink coffee and, and that'll be good for front to back thinking. And, but you don't want that if you're doing side to side thinking. So if you're going in, you're closing your eyes, you're going internally, you don't want to be hyped up on, on, you know, the factor of the adenosine blocking aspects of caffeine, right? You, you want to be able to have that free flow between the hemispheres. And I'll, I'll take certain herbs for that, or e- even I have a formula called Transcend that I use, and it's a dropper and immediately just opens everything up. And it's a quiet, contemplative sense between those areas. And once you get really good at it, you'll be able to flow in time. You'll be able to go back into attention and then drop back into these lower states of creativity and not lower in function but but just a different frequency is transcend publicly available is that something we could just pick up yeah on amazon okay it's just like transcend dropper i'll look that up mm-hmm. i like to make notes of these things because you know we get questions in the show notes or to listeners trans where did i get this yeah yeah exactly herbs what would it be transcending you yeah uh, uh, radical roots is the company that produces it got it uh, Dr. Pearson, I'm incredibly grateful. I want to be respectful of your time. That was an incredible insight and deep dive into understanding what you do. I'm sure it's just a drop in the bucket, and I would absolutely love to make it down to San Diego sometime and spend an enormous amount of time with you. Do you offer multi-day like deep dives, or is it typically a couple hours at a time? How do you typically work with people? I, I really like to work on deep dives. So we do concentrated training, and I see the best results out of that. I'd love to have you down here to check it out. How long does that go? How long is that usually? Um, typically, I like to spend either a full day or up to three days with a person. It it really impacts. Well, let me tell you one one other thing. If you have someone that meditates over a year, right? Let's say they meditate a thousand hours over that year. Mm-hmm. If you have someone that that does the same thousand hours, but part of that was done on an intensive, like a ten day retreat, a silent retreat, they're going to have more impact on the the outer end than the other person did that did the same amount of time but didn't have that concentration right so we see huge gains comparatively you know even though they've done the same amount of hours i believe it i did a seven-day brain training in 2018 i think in sedona i did a are you familiar with bios you you know bio cyber not i did yeah or dr hart yeah that's wonderful it's it's a wonderful program yeah um so bringing up that alpha you know really integrating and when you're able to do that you're really able to dive deep because it's layered on top of each other right yeah it's something i wish i would was able to like go frequently but obviously it's kind of cost prohibitive at some level Um, but just an incredible program for sure i definitely saw enormous benefit and i think still do see a benefit in uh just quality of life it's like it's almost like it's flipping a switch and allowing you to exist in a less reactive state and maybe a more present state and maybe using more aspects of your brain that you didn't have access access to before yeah, and the alpha directly impacts the heart, and um, doing that changes the frequency that you're resonating at. Gosh, I have so much more to say, but um, you got it. If you got, I love to hear it. No, I love to hear it. If you got time, I you know, you, you know, it, when when that heart is going, and, and you're able to affect the people around you. Let's say you've been doing a lot of HRV training, a, a lot of that coherence training, and your alpha's going up, and people are going to react to you differently. You walk in the room, they go, oh, th- this guy is one big hug, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I want to be by that energy. This is nice. 
and, and it really brings about the fact that our energetic means can affect other people. Hmm. So th- there's some frequencies that we're working with right now. We're, we're, we're doing a, uh, a study, and, and, and part of the study has been done before, but we're really looking at certain variables, but certain frequencies of theta in the prefrontal cortex. When you're doing a healing on someone, that tends to be the frequency we start resonating at. And people that produce that consistently have that healing effect on other people around them. And it doesn't matter the distance things. I, I know this is kind of woo, but it, it, I, I, I'm seeing the effect. And it's just, it, it's rather remarkable what we're seeing. And, you know, people see this in like uh, Dr. Joe event, right? Um, Dispenza. And, and um, people get into that state and and you'll get certain groups and and I know a couple of people went in there and I know their groups because I know their brain and they'll have that frequency going and their group gets phenomenal results so we're starting to train those frequencies and people that really want up their healing ability not only internally with themselves but affecting other people around them this speaks even more to the the statement that says you are the five people you surround yourself with. It's you know at a, at a literal vibration level as well, not just like at a at a goal setting and achievement level. Yeah, it's it's yeah. so important. I don't think this is woo at all. I mean, I think you know that um, we're we're vibrational beings. And I read a book recently called Healing Is Voltage. And if you read the book, great book worth a read. Um, probably read along the words along the lines of what you're talking about. It's like we have to be in this in this specific resonance, and if we're not, then the tissues in the body start to become dysfunctional. Right, and that's why I like the PMF so much. If your voltage is down too much, you start falling apart. If your voltage is up, you're much less likely to fall into a, d- a disease state. Hmm. And so I hate talking out of turn about something that I don't know a lot about, which is why I want to ask this one question, kind of again stated in a different way. With TMF, if I expose someone, myself or anyone for that matter, to a frequency, there's low likelihood that they're going to cause you're going to cause, or I'm going to cause some negative. Yeah, d- don't don't worry about the frequency. It's about power. I, I mean, the frequency can be gauged in aspects of like let's if we're working with IBS and and you need a higher frequency like 440 hertz or something, but 10 hertz. You, you know, it just covers everything or 7.8 hertz or like if you're working with pain at 2 hertz. Those are very specific. It doesn't mean the 10 hertz won't work on pain like 2 hertz does. You may respond a little bit better, but over time, you're going to respond the same. Do you have any resources or references where I could look and understand the frequency ranges? Because that would be so useful for me to understand. Yeah, what I can do is send you a whole whole aspect of my research. I have a whole four-hour presentation on the frequencies and and that. I'll send you my PowerPoint. I would love to see that. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Anything else you want to share? Because you got, you got, I'm sure you got a lot. We'll have to do a part two sometime. I would love to. I'll make it in San Diego. We'll come down to do a shoot YouTube video. I'll do a part two. Dr. Pearson, yeah. I'm incredibly grateful for you making the time and for your wisdom and for your continued pursuit of excellence, both for yourself and for those around you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. It's been an honor. Really appreciate your time. Likewise. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents. So as promised, I will do my best to do a bit of a summary at the end of every podcast. The key takeaways, my perspective on what the guest has said, and maybe give you some 
insights into how you can make this information practical. So here's what I think you need to know. I think you need to understand that the state that you're in right now, that could be the state of arousal, meaning the energy state and the focus state, that could be the state of uh, emotion, is all significantly influenced by your brain state. So if I want to change the way that I feel or the way that I think or the way ultimately that I'm performing, I need to think of the brain states like I'm shifting through the gears of a car. I'm going from first all the way up to fifth. And I want to be able to access each of those states along the way. So what does that mean? Well, how do I do that? Well, if I want to be in a really calm, relaxed state, let's say I'm getting ready for bed or I'm reading a book or I'm meditating. Well, I certainly don't want to be in the same state of arousal that I, as I want to be when I'm squatting or when I'm doing something really intense. Those are very, very different states of arousal. And this is not just at the level of the cardiovascular system that most people think. It's like, oh, I need to get my muscles moving. I need to get my heart moving. Yes. And you need to get your brain moving. So these things should happen in sync with each other. They should be in synchronicity with each other or synchrony with each other. So why does that matter? Well, ultimately, uh, we don't want to be someone who's always in the same state. And this is very common with many people. Many people are unconscious about the way they perform. They show up to places where they don't need to be high stressed. They're in a high strung environment and ultimately they react don't they, rather than ultimately respond. So some of the tools that I personally use to access these brain states are as follows. I think we talked about this a little bit in the podcast, but for a summary, I like to use something like L-theanine to calm me down. If I feel like I'm stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, uh, I've done too much in that day, or I don't have a huge amount of time to sleep, I need to make sure I really calm down my nervous system, or I've got blue light late in the day, or I've got caffeine late in the day, or anything where I feel like, you know, my nervous system is really overstimulated right now. L-theanine and magnesium are my two favorite ways to calm down the body. Something like L-taurine also is really good for increasing GABA, which can slow your nervous system down, slow your brain down as well. So those three, I would say, are my favorite go-tos. Magnesium, L-theanine, L-taurine are probably my favorite go-tos. Certainly my favorite go-tos for calming the nervous system, calming down the brain, bringing you down more into that alpha state, maybe even into that theta state which is that hypnagogic state that happens before sleep. If we want to get down into Delta, ultimately, in my opinion, it's a GABA um, predominant system. So we want to push GABA a little further, which means we would need a little taurine, L-taurine, which I mentioned before. Another product that I use very sporadically in on the order of I've had one bottle since 2016 um, is called Phenibut, which is P-H-E-N-I-B-U-T, Phenibut. Uh, it's one of my favorite products for inducing an incredibly deep state of sleep. However, it can be habit forming, which means if I use it two days consecutively, if you use it two days consecutively, you can become dependent on it and it can prevent you from sleeping or you need it or you have to increase the dose. So I literally have used it twice in the last 12 months, maybe three times in the last 12 months. And the only time I tend to use it is if I'm going on a, a red eye, I'm going on a flight, it's very long, or if I am like, geez, I got like four hours of sleep or feel really, really strung out and I can't get to sleep, boom, but keep it in a cupboard, don't use it often. As far as getting into an alpha state, which is this calm meditative state, we want to use alpha GPC, by far my favorite. Some people also suggest L-theanine to get into an alpha state. If you're someone who lives in beta or, or high state beta, which is like stress and overwhelm and, and high, well, just high level cognitive functioning, using L-theanine can actually bring you down into theta as well. Great dietary source of L-theanine is, is green tea. So having some green tea is a excellent way to consume some L-theanine. Obviously, there's the trade-off of sometimes green tea has caffeine in it. So we want to make sure that we're not having caffeinated green tea late in the day. But uh, theanine and uh, green tea or the theanine that exists in green tea is a really calming way to consume caffeine if you are someone who wants to take caffeine 
As far as getting into states of peak levels of arousal, like getting up into high beta, um, I, t- I like to use all tyrosine. So it's, an, it's just another amino acid that's really, really specific on the um, dopamine pathway and also works on the thyroid. Um, Altyrosine in lower dosages can be very effective. You know, four or 500 milligrams is what I personally use. Now, these are not recommendations for you. This is not, not I'm not trying to, to treat or diagnose or, or anything like that. This is my personal kind of dosage range. And all these, these supplements are what's called grass, generally recognized as safe. So make your decision, talk to your doctor. Um, but as far as increasing dopamine, increasing drive, altyrosine is phenomenal. And altyrosine I use personally anywhere between 500 milligrams, which is average, and I'll probably use that twice a week. But I sometimes get up as high as like 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams if I'm going in for like a big leg session or something or a big deadlift session, and I know I haven't slept well, or I know I haven't nourished well, or I know maybe I'm not hydrated really well, or I'm just like dragging a little bit. I'll throw in additional amounts of L-tyrosine and, and ultimately L-carnitine as well. Acetyl L-carnitine can be very good for being excitatory to the nervous system without being too stimulating. Just don't go too crazy in the doses. This is one of those things that's definitely a point of diminishing returns. There's some data out there around uh, dosage around 10 grams, which will absolutely induce anxiety for you and uh, you don't want to experience that. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that gives you a little insight. If you have the opportunity to do brain training, neural feedback, go do it. It's a really, really great thing. Everyone should actually go get their brain mapped, which is just a cute EEG, uh, quantitative EEG, and get your brain mapped and see what parts of your brain are working well, which parts are not working well, see how optimized your brain is so you can ultimately access the highest state of peak performance for you. I've been working with a gentleman here in Canada named Dr. Chris Friesen. Chris, if you're listening, what's up, man? We've got to get together. Uh, and I would love to um, continue to work on optimizing my brain. He's he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. If anyone's in Canada or near Toronto, look up Dr. Chris Friesen. Hopefully, he'll be a guest on the show soon. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, and yeah, so if there's an opportunity to work with someone near you, I suggest you check it out. If you want to work with Dr. Pearson, hit him up too. Ladies and gents, thanks for being here. And thanks for always being a loyal listener to the podcast. If you did find value in what we talked about today, again, please share this podcast for at least one person you know and love. And don't forget to support our incredible sponsors, magbreakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence and use the code muscle10. You get hooked up with 10% off. If you just go over to Bioptimizers or Mag Breakthrough and use the code muscle10, you can get hooked up there off their entire site. They've got an incredible array of products and it just continues to grow every month, every year. And they just add such great products. I value them so much. And it's something that's a staple in my medicine cabinet. Gents, ladies, cheers. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.